We're all familiar with the story of the first Thanksgiving when the pilgrims invited local Native Americans to share a meal with them. But we bet you didn't know Thanksgiving didn't become an annual tradition until more than 200 years later. That first Thanksgiving in 1621 wasn't just one big meal. It was a three-day festival of eating, hunting, and other entertainments in honor of the pilgrims' first successful harvest. The Indians killed five deer as gifts for the colonists. So venison was definitely on the first Thanksgiving menu. But we bet you didn't know that turkey was not. They also didn't have pumpkin pie or potatoes, which hadn't been introduced to New England yet. And while they may have eaten cranberries, they would have been served plain, not in a sauce or relish. The pilgrims didn't plan on starting a Thanksgiving tradition. In fact, they didn't repeat the November celebration in subsequent years. In 1789, President George Washington announced the first ever national Thanksgiving holiday, which took place on Thursday, November 26th. But it didn't become an annual tradition nationwide until the 19th century. That's when an American writer named Sarah Josepha Hale, most famous for writing the nursery rhyme Mary Had a Little Lamb, was inspired by a diary of pilgrim life to recreate that first Thanksgiving feast. Beginning in 1827, Hale waged a nearly 30-year campaign to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. She also published recipes for pumpkin pie, turkey, and stuffing that probably didn't appear on the pilgrim's plates, but would become the staples of modern Thanksgiving meals. In 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln announced that the nation would celebrate Thanksgiving every year on the final Thursday in November. But did you know, in 1939, President Franklin D. Roosevelt decided to move the holiday up a week to give Depression-era retailers more time to make money during the pre-Christmas shopping season. The move was widely criticized, and in 1941, FDR signed a bill fixing Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday in November, where it stays today. One of the quirkiest Thanksgiving traditions began in 1989, when President George H.W. Bush granted the first official pardon to a turkey. Every November since then, the current Oval Office occupant has given a reprieve to one or two turkeys, sending them into retirement on a farm rather than to a dinner table. Though it only began in the late 20th century, the story has become one of the more unusual chapters in the long history of Thanksgiving traditions. Okay, we're going to have our invitation now and go home. I just thought you ought to know that, and I thought you ought to at least get something out of the message today. So maybe you're reminded of something or you learned something this morning. But I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, holiday. I hope you, you know, if you did go hunting, you had some luck or you got a good nap in. I hope you got fed well. Family and friends came. I hope your team won. Tech got bowl eligible. Uh, Gramlin won the Southern Classic. Uh, if you cheer for that team occasionally down south, you Rustin young man had a highlight real touchdown. So it's a good weekend for the most part. I hope and we ought to be happy, thankful, people. But sometimes it's easy to let all the mess that goes on in the world, that, that, that goes on around us, kind of inch in on us. And before we know it, it's really easy to become negative, to become critical, to not be appreciative for what we have. So this morning is appropriate as it's Thanksgiving. And if you ever want to know kind of some things about our church, our church staff knows this. On the Sunday following Thanksgiving, following Christmas, Labor Day and Memorial Day, Chris will be out, okay? So we kind of know that one of the things we like about him that makes us better is he has that, you know, that regimented 
uh, organizational part of him. So we know that. So I'm here today and I get the Thanksgiving message. So we're preaching about Thanksgiving today. And I didn't get a theology degree, okay? I got a degree in marriage and family counseling in seminary. And if you need counseling and you want to come and get it over in one session, and we're like, throw some swings, wrestle, stuff like that, not get much empathy or care, come see me. Now, if you want compassion and empathy and understanding, go see Brandon, okay? I also got a degree in religious education, or they call Christian education, which means, I, you know, I can give all kinds of theological. Basically, I didn't want to take Greek and Hebrew and that kind of stuff. So, you know, theology guys take that kind of stuff. I got classes more in preschool and children's ministry and youth ministry. So I learned how to color and cut and, and that kind of stuff and, you know, how to build with blocks. So anyway, just get, just pretend you're in children's church today or, or, or youth or something like that. And, and hopefully we'll come out of here with something positive. Okay. But today we're going to talk about the road to thanks. We're going to be looking primarily in Colossians chapter 3, but we'll, we'll go back to Colossians chapter 1 some, but primarily, primarily in Colossians chapter 3. Now, you know, for you engineers, my road's going up, okay, because I didn't want a long table and it'd be hard to see it and that's a lot to move. So as I build my road to thanks here, we're going up instead of down. But the first, and yes, yes, is also as a child, I had a highlighter in my pocket. So there's, there's some yellow here, but you know, at least I didn't have a black highlighter in my pocket this morning. I didn't do that by choice, but that just tells you more about me. Okay. The road to thanks. The first step in the road to thanks, if you would turn to Colossians chapter three, verse one, and we're going to look at that verse uh, briefly. Colossians chapter three, verse one. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, and we're going to stop right there. If then you have been raised with Christ, Paul is assuming that you have been raised with Christ. Why would you not be raised with Christ? And if you have been raised with Christ, what an amazing thing to be thankful for. In Colossians chapter 1 and 2, the part of my sermon that I cut out because it would have been too long and there were some words I didn't really, they were hard to pronounce. But Colossians chapter 1 and 2 talks about the preeminence of God. And preeminence simply means uh, supreme, above all, first place. And in the church at Colossae, that was being attacked that there were other gods that we needed to worship in addition to, Gnosticism there. Gnosticism just basically means this was a group that thought spiritual and matter were two separate things. There was the spiritual, which is the things you cannot see, and there's the matter, which is everything you can see, smell, taste, touch, which includes human. And those two things were separate. And the problem with that is Jesus was a man. And because Jesus was a man, that meant he was matter. That meant he would be evil. So there was no way in Gnostic thinking that, that, that you know, God could have been Jesus. So they rejected Jesus Christ. So this is kind of what all was going in. And if you read uh, Colossians 1 and 2, it's beautiful, powerful books about God's supremacy, about him as creator, that he is the son of God. He is exactly who he says he is. Here's just a couple of verses. These aren't up on the screen from chapter one and verse 15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God begotten before all creation. He's making it real clear because they said he couldn't have been creator 
Because if he's spiritual and he touches matter, that's evil. So the spiritual couldn't have touched matter. And so they were denying the fact that God was creator. But Paul is emphasizing, no, he was the creator. He was before all creation. Because of him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he might be supreme in all Uh, For in him, God in all his fullness was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God and and God in his fullness dwelled in Christ. He was making that case real clear. And there's some beautiful passage and also in Colossians chapter one, verses 12 through 14, where he talks about salvation. And in these passages, he says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us. This is what he's done for us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That's what Christ has done for you. And so in chapter three, verse one, he just makes the assumption there saying that if you have been raised with Christ, of course you have. Why in understanding who God is, who Christ is, what he has done for you, why would you not receive that gift? And that's the question for us today. And it's the number one building block on the road to thanks is that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can bring the biggest hell flame flame thrower into church, looking angry and pointing at you all, and you can sit there and you can have peace because you know that your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Whatever situation, whatever you face, you have that joy that knowing that Christ is in you and you have purpose. As you get older, I realize I'm 55. I never thought I would be 55. I know some of you out there, you know, they're 70 or whatever. That's nothing, boy. You just wait till what's ahead. But I never thought about being 55. That means like my battery life is past used up. You know, the car, it's below half empty. You know, I'm one of those people, it gets below E. Let's see how far it can go before I fill it up. My wife, right when it's past half, you know, she fills it up. But I'm past half empty. But as I think about the future and what's ahead, you know, I'm like anybody else. I hope it's not painful, but I know where I'm going and I have peace about that. And so my thought is, why wouldn't you want to have that peace? Why wouldn't you want to have that joy when Christ has made it available for you to receive his free gift? And when we have Christ, that is the foundation for thanksgiving. Because as we think about our, our, our future, our hope, our purpose, this life, we don't have to do it alone. It's a relationship we'll never be severed from. Christ is the building block of, uh, of thanksgiving. And, and every day we wake up, it should be waking up with the thought, thanks be to God. You know, I've got a future with you, and today there's a purpose for today. Thank you, God, and be with me as I go throughout this day. It's the building block of thanksgiving. Here's step number two, and this is important. Okay, you have a special role. Okay, I use part here. It's the role. But you have a role in Christ, and I use part here because you're part of the body of Christ. Now, open the screen. Uh, there's a few pictures of some superheroes, okay? So we're, so we're going off. This is Ant-Man. I don't really get Ant-Man. Do you know what Ant-Man's powers are? Ant-Man has human powers. 
I mean, here's Superman, can take bullets, can, can leap over buildings, is really fast. What are Ant-Man's powers? He's got the powers of a human. What is that? Kind of seems like the short deal into the stick, but, but he can shrink down to the size of an ant and retain those human powers. Here's another superhero. Oh, that's Spider-Man. Okay, it's kind of weird looking. You know, there, there's Spider-Man and a couple more that are on the screen. There, there's uh, Superman, the greatest superhero of them all. And there's Batman, who I don't really get. Uh, but there's these super. So, so what's the point in that? The, oh, here's what I want you to think about for a minute. Again, you know, we're going into youth ministry mind mold here, okay? I want you to think about that each superhero, they have a different story. When I grew up and I would go to my Aunt Mary's house and upstairs in her house, uh, her kids had all these comic books, you know, Flash Gordon, Wonder Woman and all this. Uh, they had all these comic books. And so I would go up there and I would read those. And every superhero had a backstory. And each one of them had special, unique powers. And each one of them had, you know, sometimes some of them had sidekicks. Some of them had, uh, you know, different resources and tools and things that helped them with what they do. But each one of them kind of had a unique individual story. Well, here's what I want you to think about you. This is important. You are a part of the body of Christ. God uniquely made you exactly like you are. He has allowed you to experience exactly what you have experienced in life for the role that he has for you. And just like those superheroes have a role and there's people that they are to rescue and go and help that nobody else could do, and that's, that, that's in a pretend world, in the real world, there are people that God has placed you in the midst of that has allowed you to have the story that you have, the experiences that you have, the abilities that you have, because you and you alone can uniquely reach out to them and minister to them and meet them and encourage them. And you need to embrace that calling that God gives you. We're not going to look at all these passages, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you can just write this down, verses 7 through 27, you can go back and read these. And these are the passages that talk about the body of Christ. But I'm just going to highlight some passages that talk about how you are uniquely created and placed in the body of Christ for a unique, special role. He says in verse 7, to each one, their manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Uh, he goes on and he talks in verse uh, 24. He says, God has put the body together. There is, in verse 25, there is to be no division, equal concern for each other. In verse 27, you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. Each of you was uniquely crafted and designed and placed in the body of Christ. And you have a story and you have a role and you have spiritual gifts and you have talents and you have opportunities. And God wants to use that to impact lives of people. He's given us the great commission to do. And you have a part in that uniquely that only you can carry out. Embrace that role. If you're like me, we all look in the mirror at times. And there's things we see we don't like. We would like to change. Maybe nobody else sees them but us. Well, you and the doctor. I wish Daniel Scoggins was here because I could tell a, a great story about him. Since he's not here, it's probably better to tell a story about him. But Daniel teaches in our uh, adult one Sunday school class. And uh, Daniel grew up in the military. And because Daniel grew up in the military, when he would go to the doctor's office, he was just used to in, in the military doctor, you just strip down. 
and he was used to that. So when he went into civilian life the first time, and he's like old, and he goes to the doctor, and he just starts stripping down, and the doctor's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 thanks. But what I'm saying is there's things that you look and nobody knows about you, but you know and sometimes will or your your doctor, whoever knows about you, or maybe if you go to a counselor, they know about you, and those are things about you that you would like to change. But as you get older you, you, and you mature in your faith, you kind of understand sometimes those things have been given to us to humble us. Sometimes some things that, that we have to struggle with those things because God wants to make us dependent on him. Sometimes it's an empathy that he wants us to develop with other people. Sometimes that's part of our story. And sometimes there, there's challenges that we have that are obvious that everybody sees. And we wish we didn't have those challenges. But those challenges then allow you to connect with other people that have had those same challenges or those same struggles. You have a unique God-created role to play in his plan. So don't ever say your life is not valuable. Don't ever com- get into comparing yourself to other people. We're not to compare ourselves to other people. We're to love and minister other people. And people that may be negative and critical, you just realize those are hurting people. Those are signs of hurting people. And you pray that God brings somebody into their life and opens their eyes so that they can have those needs met that they have. But don't ever say your life isn't valuable. Doesn't matter how old you get. Doesn't matter your financial situation. Doesn't matter your educational. Doesn't matter what challenges you have. God has a special role that you can play. And that should give you thanks. Because that means you are significant. You are valued. That he created you for a purpose. And there's people that God wants to place you in their lives. And as a result of that, they're going to have thanks. Thank you, God, for bringing this minister and angel into my life. Thank you for bringing this purpose. You may can think of situations in your own life where God has brought that person into your life that you needed to be there, to listen, to hear, to encourage, to provide. Allow God to use you in that same way. And that is something that should give us thanks to God because he could have chose to minister to the world any way he wanted to, and yet he chose to minister to, to us. So that's step two. Here's step three. Step three is a right perspective. We need to think above, have a perspective above and not earthly. If you look in chapter three, verses one and two, he mentions this two times. He mentions, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not things that are on earth. If we are going to be people of thanks, then our thinking's got to change. Now, this, uh, there was one minister that said, you know, we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're not, not of any earthly good. That's not what we're talking about. But it means we start seeing things from an eternal perspective. We start looking at people from an eternal perspective. We start looking at our family from an eternal perspective. We start looking at, at things that God has entrusted to us from an eternal perspective. In other words, my, you know, the, the, the relationship that I have with my wife, with my children, with my friends, I want that relationship to have an impact beyond today, beyond the temporary. I want it to have an eternal impact. When I go to work, 
understand this isn't just a job. This isn't just a paycheck. God's got me here for a bigger purpose, and I need to look for those opportunities, and I need to honor him in everything that I say and I do. I need to understand that things that God has entrusted to me, home, car, money, possessions, whatever, those things can take on an eternal perspective. Hunting, this is that time of year, can take on an internal perspective. You go just looking around, opening your eyes up to what God created, maybe taking somebody with you that you can encourage, that you can be a friend to. Just You can make so many ordinary, temporary things have an eternal perspective. There's a parable in Scripture that uh, talks about the, the, the rich young ruler. Not the rich young real, I'm sorry, it's a rich young man. And, you know, he's kind of like, what do I have to do to follow you, God? He says, sell all your possessions and come follow me. And it says he walked away sad because he had a lot. And a lot of times when we hear that parable, we think about, well, that doesn't apply to me because that person's very rich, I'm not very rich, and God's not going to, you know, ask me to walk away from everything. So that doesn't really, that's a nice story. He should have trusted Jesus and did that. But we separate ourselves from that story. When we need to kind of look at the bigger application of it, I don't know if some of you have seen this uh, Nick Saban Regions Bank commercial. And in that commercial, this girl is thinking about buying a dress, and it's like a four or $500 dress, and he sits there and he goes, no, what are you thinking? You're going to buy this dress that's going to sit in your closet one or two times. What are you thinking? You need to think about this differently. Walk away from the dress. And you see, just like that rich young ruler, he was saying walk away from those riches. See, sometimes... There's small things that God says, you know what? If you're going to follow me, you got to walk away from this because this is going to rob you of your joy. It's going to rob you of your things. This, this, this car you want to purchase, this home you want to purchase, walk away from it. Maybe it's something smaller. Maybe it's something less. Maybe it's being content where you're at. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with getting something a little nicer, but I'm just saying there's times when we got to listen when God says, you know what? You're going to get so stressed about the financial payment, the upkeep of this. You're going to get so stressed with all this space that you've got to care for in this whole process. And, and you're going to worry somebody's going to back too close and you'll be one of those people that straddles two parking spots when you go park. And you're just going to be somebody that's going to lose your joy. Walk away from this. And we have to be open to those times when God says, walk away and have an eternal perspective. The whole reason, if you've ever taken Dave Ramsey, the reason Dave Ramsey wants you to pay off your debt, it's not so you can go get more, it's so that you can give more. It's so that you can be in a position to bless other people, that you can experience that thanks from blessing other people. So it's important for us, if we're going to be a people of thanks, We've got a people that everything with our possessions, with our relationships, with our friendships, with your school, that you take an eternal perspective. Even that class that's brutal, whatever that is for you, geometry, history, physics, I could just name most of them. Uh, Whatever that is, you take an eternal perspective. God's got me in here for a reason. There's something he wants to teach me, show me. Maybe there's somebody I can set an example to. Maybe there's somebody I can minister to. But be open to that. Here's the fourth step. The fourth step, and we're just going to go through these really quickly, and you can read these on your own, but he talks about some things that we need to put off and some things that we need to put on. If we're going to get to a road of thanks, there's some things we've got to put off and we've got to put on. Uh, There's a couple of times in Colossians uh, chapter 1, 
wherever the passages are. But basically in there, he tells us several times, hey, put off, put off, put off in these passages. And there's several times in those passages where he tells us to put on. Here they are in verse 5, 7, and 8. He says, put to death. You two once walked this way. Put them all away. Put to death means mortify. Do away with it. Be done with it. I'm picking on deer hunting a lot right now. But it would be like if you killed, you killed a big buck the other day. That was pretty impressive. Uh, but like, you know, so, so Riley kills this big buck with a nice, you know, rack and everything on it. And she walks and she sells it off and that's cool. But a week later or two weeks later, if she's still walking around with it, we're like, okay, girl, you got some problems. All right. This thing's starting to smell. I'm not wanting to be around you. What's going on. Okay. It's time to let it go. Let's, let's take it to the taxidermist. Let's get this fixed. Let's hang this beautiful thing on the wall. Um, but, um, you know, because there's some things that if we're going to be people of thanks, we got to put to death. And what was going on in the Colossian church, there were things that they needed to be letting go of. There were practices. They wanted to come to church and be spiritual and then just go live how they wanted to live, that separation of the spiritual and the material that they wanted to do. And God said, no, you got to put those things to death. If you're going to follow me and you can read the list, he talks a lot about sexual things because they were wanting to separate that. He talks about lying and he says, those things have got to go. It doesn't matter if you're using them, you know, Hey, this is just what we do at business. This is just how he says, you got to let those things go. I've got a role for you to play. You're part of the body of Christ. You're my child. You're my representative. And there's certain things. If you want to be a person of thanks, let them go. And you know if you have let some of those things go, and at the time you fought it, but you understand now, understand why God wanted me to let that go and why he wanted to put me to death. And I have so much joy now because I let that go. And there are certain things that you have to put on. And he talks about several of those things. He talks about compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. In the Greek life, there was not a word for humility. That was a new Bible word, that concept that you would put others before yourself. But he says, these are the qualities you've got to put on. And when you put on these qualities and you start embracing your role and you start serving and loving other people, man, thanks comes from you. Other people are thankful for you. You start seeing situations and circumstances differently and thanks just becomes natural and normal part of who you are. And then he talks about three things that kind of bond these things all together. Step four that we have to do, or, or step five, I'm sorry, these are the reinforcers. Now, the first reinforcer is love. Now, this was supposed to be a bag of mortar, but I figured I'd bust it and Bernard would get on to me. So this is grout, okay? And grout's kind of like tile mortar, okay? But what binds all these things that we're supposed to put on together, what binds it all together is love. And the word that we want to think about for love is the word agape. And that is an, and we think about love as an emotion. Love's not an emotion. Love's an action. In 1 Corinthians 13, you've heard that read at weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. It bears all things. Love is an action. And so he says, if you want to be a person of thanks, if you want to fulfill the role that God has called you to do, then everything you do, bond it in love. Can you do it in love? Do it in love. Let that be the thing that binds, and it's talking about just like sewing a garment together that will sew all this compassion, kindness, and tenderness, these things that you're to put on, it will bind them all together. And then he also says, I also want you to let peace rule in you. He talks about that in verse 15. Rule means like an umpire. 
If you're going to have peace at a ball game, there's got to be rules and there's got to be an umpire. And what God says, if you want to be a person of thanks, if you want to be a person that brings thanks, then you've got to be somebody that brings peace to situations. You've got to be somebody that brings balance. You need to bring peace to your home. You need to bring peace to your relationship with your spouse. You need to bring peace with your children in your place of work. You need to be the person that brings peace into that environment. And how do you know to bring peace? How do you know what the rules are? Verse 16 says, you've got to let the word of God dwell richly in you. Richly means deeply. It's like soil that has all the nutrients in it. And when those nutrients in it, a crop springs up. And so you have got to let the word dwell richly in you. And when you do, and you know his word, and you know how to apply it in your home, and you understand what you need to put off, you understand what you need to put on, you start thinking from an internal perspective because the word of God is guiding you. You start understanding your role and how to carry it out. And you're thankful to God and Christ every day for your salvation. And you're just a person that thanks erupts from. You're thankful to God. You see all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, every circumstance, good or bad, you understand even in the midst of bad circumstances, I can be thankful because I know God is at work. He's developed me in my role. He's showing me something I need to put off or put on. In all circumstances, I will give thanks to God. And then verse 17 closes it out. And you understand that in every situation, whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything you do. Everything. Every thought, every word, every action, you're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every word, thought, and action is is a gift of thanks to God. Because I have a relationship with you. I have a role to play. God, before I think, before I speak, before I act... God, I'm going to you first. I'm searching your word. I'm going to you in prayer, and I'm going to put that into action. And when you start doing that, you become a person who your life is a life that gives thanks to God. You become a person who in every situation is able to find God at work and see God at work. Even when you don't get it, you trust that he's at work. You become a person that is thankful and appreciative to other people. Because there's no way you can be right here and be wrong here. And you start being thankful and appreciative to other people and their contributions to their life and how God's using them to shape you and mold you. And then you become that person. And this isn't the primary motive, but it's just the fruit. You become that person that other people are thankful for. And I've been to those funerals. And I think people were more thankful that they died and we're gone. You don't want to be that person. You want to be that person that people are so thankful that they lived because they love Christ and they showed it by embracing their role. And, and, and they brought peace and they brought love and they brought compassion and they were willing to be used to bless and to encourage other people. And people are thankful for that. You can think of people like that that God brought into your life. Maybe in the world's eyes, they weren't a whole lot, but they showed Christ in everything that they do, and they made you better for it. And they were pouring out themselves for others. That's a life that gives thanks to God. That's the kind of life that God wants you to live, a life that every day demonstrates thanks to God. 
So this morning, as we come to the time of invitation, I just want you to take some time and just evaluate yourself. Because I'm telling you, in this world, it's easy to become negative, to become critical. Don't let that happen to you. Number one, do you have a relationship with Christ? If you do, be thankful for it. Number two, you have a role to play. Have you embraced it or are you just kind of pushing it, not thinking about it? You have a role to play. No matter your age, if you're a child of God, you've got a role to play. Is God saying to be effective in this role? Here's what you've got to put off. Here's what you've got to put on. Are you trusting him? Are you letting love come out, peace come out? Let those things come out. And whatever you need to do to make yourself be more thankful and more of a follower of Christ, be willing to do it. Let's pray.